Coming upon the media project, Alan Shartok, Ira Fussfeld, Barbara Lombardo, and me, Rex Smith, with a conversation about media issues of the week. We'll hear Alan explain the dynamic between local stations and NPR. We'll talk about whether journalism is primarily serving the elite, and we'll talk about how the press is framing the economy. Those topics and a lot more are coming up on the media project. You'll hear it all next. They wallow in corruption. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy... Hey, welcome to the Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media locally, and we take our gaze around the country and the world as well sometimes. I'm Rex Smith, very glad to have you here with Barbara Lombardo, Ira Fussfeld, and of course, Dr. Alan Shartuck, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. We are glad to be your media projectors of this week. Alan, you doing okay over there? Yes, I just came back from my exercise and I decided to sneak in some cereal as I sat down. That cereal has now got caught in my throat, and so I won't be saying too much. <laughs> well, we'll have that see. on the record now. <laughs> I mean, that's all it would have taken all these years. All we have to do is bring in a box of cereal every time. Bring in your Cheerios, folks, and you two can dominate the media project. Alan, I wanted to go to you first because the almost amusing element of the attempted interview by Steve Inskeep of NPR of former President Donald Trump. There was an interview going on scheduled for 15 minutes, suddenly abruptly ended at nine when the questioning apparently got a little difficult and Donald Trump hung up on live radio. Has that ever happened to you? You ever been in the middle of an interview and suddenly have somebody just basically walk off the air? Only with Mario Cuomo, who I interviewed for maybe 18 years in all every week. One time he said, listen to this. <laughs> and there was no one there. 
Listen to this, he said. Is that what you think? Is that what you think? I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, who cares? And then listen to this. And that was the end of it. When I was listening to the morning talk show at the roundtable and you discussed this interview, and I sensed that the panelists, including yourself, were critical of NPR for having done the interview. Did I hear that correctly? I don't know, to tell you the truth, Ira. You really ought to check those hearing aids. But I can tell you that NPR obviously wants to play both sides of the game. And there are many people who have written to me criticizing WAMC, which is, frankly, the finest public radio station in the country, as if we were NPR. You shouldn't have done this, they say. I say, wait, 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 wait. You have to understand, I think it's a good time to say this to everybody who's listening. The member stations own NPR theoretically. Of course, it hasn't exactly worked out that way. But they started it to gather the news, international and national news. And so I just want to make it plain to everybody that NPR runs its own race, as does WAMC, from whence you are hearing this program right now. And that's true for all the public radio stations. Now, some of the public radio stations have laid down and said, you're the boss and we'll do whatever you tell us. That is not true with the radio station you're hearing from at this moment. I'm normally one who would not like airtime wasted on Trump and giving him time to just spew off what he spews off. What I thought was worthwhile with this interview is that Inskeep at least did not lay down before Trump. He tried to ask him tough questions, and if you listen to it closely, you'd guess you heard some of Trump's usual banter. But he was clearly uncomfortable, which is obviously why he hung up prematurely. So I guess the only thing I would be critical of NPR is that they could have edited out the usual remarks because it wasn't a live interview. But I, I thought at least Inskeep deserved credit for trying to get some answers from the questions that often are not asked of Trump. Ira, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, if, if Trump's people called WAMC right now, of which I am the CEO, and said, we'd like to come on for 15 minutes and to talk about the ex-president and what his feelings about things are, we would say yes. Of course we would say yes. Who wouldn't? Rex, when you were the editor of the Times Union, you undoubtedly would have said yes, wouldn't you? Of course. I don't have any fault with NPR for this at all. I had no idea that you had been critical of it for uh, doing this. I misunderstood. You may have misheard. I got the sense that uh, NPR was being criticized. Well, here that NPR is being criticized from me as the CEO of a major public radio station, you could say, yes, they were, but not for that. They right, I got you. My list for misbehavior. Why is that, Alan? What is it that you dislike about NPR News? I think they think they own it, and they don't. We own it. It's too long to go into, but we have a wonderful um, operation here, which they interfere with more than I would like. Let's put it that way, and we can discuss that at length sometime. As far as the Trump interview with NPR, I think it's a mistake to say that this was an amusing event that Trump hung up on somebody on a national interview or that our time was wasted on uh, listening to what he had to say. It scares me because when you listen to what he does have to say, he is as strong as ever in relaying his big lie and riling people up. And I think NPR was right to do the interview. They got more publicity out of having done that interview than if it had gone the full 15 minutes and they aired it whenever they were going to air it. I may not have ever heard it, and millions of people may not have ever heard it. If Trump hadn't hung up, it wouldn't have been as newsworthy an event for people to listen to. But we need to listen to it, and it's not 
amusing. I thought that Inskeep did a great job. And similarly, when you've got the mini-me in the North Country, Stefanik, Trump's mini-me, raising millions of dollars at Mar-a-Lago with Trump, we need to try to interview her, I guess. I know that you've tried, Alan, to get her on your show, or used to try. Always welcome. How much of the airwaves and ink do you give people that are spouting lies? Well, the short answer is Inskeep tried. Basically, he pointed out that the guy was lying. You know, I think that's your job as a journalist. I know that you're all good journalists, and you've all done it many times. If somebody tells a lie, you're going to call them on it. Yeah, there are excerpts from that interview in which Trump sounds kind of normal and not the frightening monster that we know that he is. And, you know, is NPR going to use excerpts of that interview for other pieces where maybe he's talking about, I think people ought to get vaccinated. I think people who get vaccinated should admit that they've been vaccinated. That was part of the conversation. Are those things going to give Trump free airtime, sounding like a normal person, like a leader? You are exactly right. That's exactly what's going on. They should have just dumped the whole thing. What do you oh, mean? I don't think they should dump the whole thing. I don't think you do an interview with Donald Trump and then not air it, not use it at all. And I think there are just these difficulties. You can't account for everything as a journalist. It seemed to me that Steve Inskeep did a great job as far as he could. But we all have this problem trying to interview someone, trying to get information when, or even quoting someone when you know they're not fully telling the truth. You try to ferret out of them something that will make it stand up. But You can only do so much in the media to deal with the lies or the misstatements you try to clarify, but you still have an obligation to interview people, not to carry Trump rallies live, for example, which was the mistake of the 2016 campaign. But you have an obligation to try to interview them, of course. By the way, just to clarify one thing, Alan, NPR is actually – it is quasi-autonomous. It is owned by a nonprofit called National Public Radio, Inc. So you may, you member stations are part of a board, but it was created by an act of Congress. So you're not actually the owner. Just want to, I'm sure you know that. Well, I want to be clear because I don't want anybody to think that what you're saying is arrogant. No, not at all. Just accurate. It may be semi-accurate, but the fact of the matter is there is an arrangement, and the arrangement is that the various member stations are called on to acquiesce to what NPR is doing, to say yes in many cases. So it isn't as if what you've said, I know you've always been a fierce defender of NPR, inappropriately, I may say, that what they do is okay. It is not. Sometimes they are arrogant and rather brusque with the member stations, and we let them know about it, believe me, we do. And I'm, by the way, right now, they're on the retreat. It's worth reminding listeners that WAMC spends a considerable amount of money to NPR. And so, in effect, we're the customers, that we're meaning WAMC, and NPR has to be more responsive to its members. They're the lifeline. They're the lifeblood. So they ought to be paying attention to what the members are saying. To give you a specific number, $800,000 last year, I believe, about $800,000 yeah. to NPR. The customers, of course, are the listeners. The listeners of WAMC and every other public radio station around the country are ultimately the ones who, of course, fund WAMC, and WAMC in turn funds NPR. Not every public radio station is a member of NPR, and so I would dare to say that some of the listeners probably, WAMC probably appreciates All Things Considered and Morning Edition 
and the other programs that you carry. You, you know, I'm just saying that you have a rich and varied programming mix on WAMC, on Northeast Public Radio. And part of it that I think people really care about is the what I consider to be terrific national coverage, certainly the best audio coverage in the country. There isn't another national outlet for news on audio that matches NPR, you know, not CBS Radio News or ABC Radio News or any of that. So, yeah, I'm going to defend. I think it's a wonderful newsroom. I admire the work they do, including what Stephen Keep and his co-hosts do on Morning Edition that's carried on WAMC. I think it's great. Well, it's interesting, Rex, as long as we've gone on this tear. I can tell you as the guy who gets the mail and reads the mail, we get very little that says, aren't you terrific because you carry NPR? It's almost all about what WAMC does. And I want to just go a little further and say there's a certain amount of chaos going on at NPR now in which all kinds of people are quitting. They don't like the spirit of the place. They don't like the way they're treated. And they're getting out, including uh, many people of minority status. So uh, there are NPR is not by any means, I, I think I hear this in your voice, perfect. No, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so. In fact, I would say all of journalism has this problem that we alluded to, and that is journalism as practiced by the sort of mainstream media, which we here all have represented is increasingly serving, some might say, a rather elite audience. You know, we really don't have in the mainstream media, and increasingly we're losing, the audience of not only the Trump voters, who are, of course, turning off public radio, but also leaving behind traditional media and going for the little niche publications, but also when you consider how much metropolitan newspapers cost to subscribe to now, $400, even $800 a year for print plus digital we're basically increasingly just seeing a news media that's serving people who are pretty well off. Isn't that true? Yes, I think it is true. And I think your money assertion is quite correct. I think that's what we pay about $300 a year for both the local paper and the online. So what you've raised, Rex, is an important point going forward. I mean, for all the problems that we talk about here, about the mainstream media and the depth of print journalism, etc., if we are pricing out a sizable portion of the country and thus they're not able to afford what it is we do, where are they getting their news and are they more likely to be getting it on the Internet from sites that are not nearly as reputable and thus inaccurate and what is the danger that that implies? You said we. What are we doing? Well, I'm using we as the representatives of the four of us here in both print and broadcast, which are traditional media. I mean, fortunately for WNAMC, you you raise a lot of money, but you don't have to make a profit. So that's another point. But again, Rex raises the issue, or, or Alan, you raise the issue, that we are elites. We meaning the legacy media. Rex? Right. I think it's not just subscription prices. It's really content selection. And, you know, Alan, I think you're right that people like the local content that doesn't necessarily reflect elite values. If you've got a show on people's health concerns or on pets or uh, whatever it is, uh, your local news is... Or on media, like this show. (laughs) Yeah, except we're reflecting elite values. You know, I don't think we have very many... I'd love to hear from more Trump listeners here, but I don't think we have very many. And I think we all in the mainstream media run the risk of talking only to ourselves. And I think there's a great concern in America that the media are not able to reach people who don't agree with, in fact, the kind of truth-telling that we've been doing. Part of it is value. It's not just the raw cost, the base cost, but it's 
whether people think they're getting value for their money and also being willing to listen to something just subscribe online is a lot cheaper than trying to subscribe online and in print. So I pay, and I might be crazy to be doing this, I hope you don't think so, but I'm paying over $600 a year now to get my Times Union seven days a week in print and fully online. And if I was going to choose to just do online, it would be a lot cheaper. But I'm still a dinosaur, and I still like to read the print version as well. But the cost for getting it just online is not so bad. And they're trying to do a good job with local news in a very, very broad region. So part of that is not the cost, but how are they getting the message across that this is something that's worth reading, that you want to know what's going on, that we're reporting. Well, I'm spending roughly $1,200 a year on getting the print edition of The Times delivered and then also giving me total access to their Internet product. It's a good thing you were a past publisher. You could afford that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but there are a lot of people who are paying the same amount who are not publishers. Yes, it is. I shouldn't even kid about it. It's expensive to get the print. But if you drop the print version, it's going to be a lot cheaper. But it does create an elite. So when you guys are banding about these amounts of money that you are paying, we recognize, of course, that not everybody can do that. And the more you do that, obviously, the people who have the money are the readers and therefore... To some degree, the controllers of the whole thing, that might anger you, but you know you know who your audience is. But to Barbara's point, the digital presentation is inexpensive, and we're increasingly going to see days of the week in print being dropped. I think a lot of media organizations did this a long time ago. The Syracuse newspaper, for example, stopped publishing a full seven-day-a-week paper more than a decade ago. That was a major media outlet that did this. Certainly, that's the case in a number of cities around the country. One of the trends, though, that we sometimes are missing, we've talked about the decline of local news organizations, how hundreds of local newspapers have folded, especially weeklies. There were more than 70 local news startups last year. So that's a bit of good news. Now, a lot of that is by not-for-profits. Again, NPR, WAMC, these are not-for-profit organizations, and increasingly foundations that care about local news and other not-for-profit entities are creating local news sites, not hyper-local, but local news sites that try to pick up the gap where local newspapers that were for-profit enterprises have died. I wonder if, let's say if the New York Times was free, would people who are, without even reading it, besmirching what's in the New York Times and saying that they're not fair and accurate reporting, would they get it even if it was free? Would you reach people? My other question is, what are news organizations doing to consider how people are getting their news? And I think CNN is on the right track. They're investing now in a lot of streaming services or hiring top-notch staff, including taking up people from NPR, going back to the earlier comments, for streaming service. So they are thinking about where their audience is or is going to be. While you're on the subject, why don't you tell everybody who's listening what a streaming service is? So people are can turn on their devices and watch and listen to what is happening, what is being presented to them, as opposed to, I have to turn on the 6 o'clock news at 6 o'clock. Would that be a fair summary of what it is about? You can turn on your TV, your smart TV or your mobile device, and listen to the news. 
Yeah, but But, streaming is Netflix, streaming is Amazon Prime, and what we're seeing, I was just a story in one of the papers the other day, is that we talk about how the newspaper industry has been dying. The cable and satellite delivery industries are hurting as well. They're down to about 50% from a high of about 80% in terms of the percentage of viewers on those services. And what are people turning to? They're turning to streaming, where you can purchase channels a la carte and pay 8 or $9 a month rather than pay the $200 a month that you might be paying for cable. So I think you described it accurately, Barbara, but I wouldn't want to limit it just to the CNNs and the news channels of the world. My point to that was that they're catching on finally to this is how people are getting entertainment, getting information, that it's a vehicle that needs to be addressed by credible news media. I agree. Well, you know, it's interesting that you're saying this, guys, because we do know that when you see the and where the NPR people who are quitting or people who are quitting major news outlets are going, they're going to streaming services. So obviously this is really catching on now. That is one of the rising places, as you're right, as the media environment continues to shift, as it has. Hey, we want to turn to a piece of mail. Our listeners can always comment media at wamc.org. Doug in Taconic, Connecticut, writes about last week's conversation involving Tucker Carlson, invoking the First Amendment in saying, I'm not going to appear before the House committee investigating January 6th. He says, members of the media project have sadly allowed their politics to cloud their principles. Carlson, deplorable as he is, Doug writes, is entitled to the very same First Amendment protection as the panelists are. A great effort was spent on the media project and hair splitting between journalists who would be entitled to protection and commentators who wouldn't. The distinction is meaningless. The op-ed page of the Times is just as protective of the First Amendment as its front page. Alan Shartok, surely a non-journalist, is protected when he calls Trump accurately a fascist. Equally so is Tucker Carlson when he spouts lies about the insurrection. The First Amendment covers deplorables and covers hate speech by hateful media personalities, just as it covers liberal editorials and neutral news stories. So that is Doug's point of view. We did not actually say Tucker Carlson loses his First Amendment privilege. It is that it is certainly cynical of him to claim it when he denounces it in so many others. Just a point there. So you can share your views, as we say, media at WAMC.org. We appreciate it. Uh, But we don't have to like it. (laughs) We don't have to like it. Absolutely. Hey, what about coverage of the economy? This is what everybody's talking about these days, inflation. I want to get the panel's interest on this. Doesn't it seem that the press is framing the economic problems that we're confronting, 7% inflation, for example, as a political issue? I am just concerned that we are seeing this too much in the context of what it means for Joe Biden politically, ignoring the fact that inflation is, in fact, a global phenomenon. Inflation is higher in Russia than it is in the United States, higher in Mexico, and so on. But our tendency, again, as we've said on this show many times, our tendency to see issues in the horse race of politics leads us to make this a Biden issue. Am I wrong on that, or is is there any way around this kind of a problem? Well, I do think you are wrong. The American way of politics, the authoritative allocation of scarce resources, is to ascribe what is happening around an incumbent to the incumbent. It's always been that way. Now, if you have inflation, which we do, and it's serious inflation, certainly there will be people who will say, we elected a president. He said he could handle all this kind of stuff. He's not handling it. Now, I happen to be a huge Biden fan, so don't get me wrong. But I do understand that if it happens on your watch, You're going to get held responsible, and part of that will be by the news media. But 
understand the news media has a responsibility to choose its words carefully and to decide how to explain something, even if there's a sentence or two in every story or in their broadcasts that make it clear what the causes and background of, so that the politicians, whoever happens to be in office, isn't getting either all the blame or all the credit. Well, I saw uh, some reports about this, and none of them blame Biden for the inflation. They described the various factors that are creating the inflation from the COVID to the supply chain to bad weather, halting deliveries of goods and services, etc. But the fact is, and historically it's the case, that Biden will not be the first one saddled with this. When the inflation comes along, people get upset if they feel it in this every time they go to the store. And the person they're going to blame is the president, the person who's in charge. Similarly, even if the president has nothing really to do with it, um, and similarly, the president will get the credit if times are great. And I just think that that's just typical of where we are, the country, and it has less to do with media, which I think is trying to explain these things if people want to read the stories deeply enough. 36% of America is in favor of Biden's stewardship. In other words, those are what the polls are showing us right now. You could say all you want, Ira, or anybody else. It's really not Biden's fault, and I agree with that. Nevertheless, we do know how politics works, and the way it works is whoever's at the helm gets the blame or the credit. Yeah, I agree. That's true, but it's incumbent upon the media to be thoughtful in how we report this so that we are trying to combat that notion of putting blame where it may not necessarily reside. We need to give context to all these stories, but that goes to that issue of not being able to reach the people who really need the news coverage. The difficulty is your news stories don't do you any good if you're not actually reaching people, if people don't access it. And so we try to explain this and say, you know, here's this global phenomenon, here's what's causing inflation. And yet, if we don't couch it in terms or reach an audience that needs to hear it, we're just whistling Dixie. We're not doing any good there. It's really a problem. And the the media, we compound the problem when we quote politicians or others wrongly criticizing, say, the president. This is Biden's fault because of whatever the issue is, so say it's the economy. And then – It's just a he said, it's not even a he said, she said. The person gets to say that criticism. The media needs to follow up that sentence saying, but that's not accurate. That's not quite true. Or the situation is more nuanced than that. Or it's not really in the president's control. I think we need to be diligent about doing that. And we're not always. But therein lies the rub of the undercurrent of what we've been talking about for months and longer than that, which is there's a lot of media and people are going to the media that they're more comfortable with. And on Fox News, they're more likely to say it's Biden's fault than it. uh, And and then you're going to hear on MSNBC and wherever you're getting your news, that's what's coloring your opinion. And that's the problem for everything in the news business these days. True that, and that is the last word, because we are out of time. That was Ira Fussfeld, Barbara Lombardo, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. We thank our producer, David Gustina, for his patience and for making this all come together and make us sound better. We thank you for listening to us every week on The Media Project. She chopped him into fragments, she stuffed him in a trunk. She shipped it all back yonder to her uncle in Podunk. Now newspapermen meet such interesting people. It must have startled poor old Sadie's aunt. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. 
Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding, ling, ding, ling, 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 ling. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the show. Now, publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.